Welcome to the Awe and Wonder podcast from the Special Education Technology Center. We're in Series 2, Leaders and Changemakers, and we are excited to have two Leaders and Changemakers with us today um, who have a really great um, background from the school district side of things and really um, lots of perspectives to share with us. So I'll start by introducing myself. I'm Sarah Kinsella. As always, we have... I'm Brenda Del Monte and Barb, let's start with you. Okay, I'm Barb Lark and just a little background. I'm a retired SLP from the Everett School District and worked in assistive technology as well. Wonderful, and Kathy? Okay, my name's Kathy Hestroy. I live in Bellevue, Washington. I'm an occupational therapist by training and I worked pretty much exclusively in assistive tech for over 22 years. Um, I started my career at Children's Hospital in Seattle, and then oh. I moved to Bellevue Schools in the early 80s as an OT. And then uh, in 2000, I became the assistive technology um, coordinator, and um, I retired about a year ago from Bellevue Schools. So I'm yes. currently sort of exploring some opportunities to be a consultant. Um, but yeah, that's my background. So have you worked directly together? I would, I well, yes and no. Let's like, closely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so do you we, feel like that you yeah. um, support each other when you're going through things and you're wanting somebody who knows where you're at and you bounce an idea off? Is that kind of the more of the relationship, almost an ongoing companionship there? Great question. Kathy's been my go-to person for about 20 years. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, and Barb you know and I a lot were of both. Yeah, Barb and I were both very involved in kind of setting up the AT regional meetings um, early on uh, through SETC. They kind of helped sponsor that, and so that's kind of where our relationship started, I believe. And then we also intersected some at SETC. Um, we both have been on staff there, right? So those. Those AT regional meetings, um, for those who don't know, maybe you don't live in Washington State, but assistive technology regional meetings where um, people who are interested in AT, doesn't matter what you do, a teacher, a SLP, OT, a parent, um, people who have an interest in AT come together and um, Barb and Kathy help facilitate these groups so we could share share resources and ask questions and depending on what your region was and and then became a statewide meeting where we'd all at least once or twice a year come together and um, have the meetings. And those are those are invaluable. I just love that. Thank you guys for doing that. <laughs> and for listeners who don't maybe don't know this, both um, Sarah, Sarah and I have worked at Everett School District at some point and with Barb. And that's right. Um, I didn't say under Barb because that is not the way she leads. Um, she doesn't lead top down. And so I would say that the AT meetings are the are, uh, regional meetings are the same format in the sense that one thing I appreciate about your leadership is that you're going to um, coordinate collaboration. You're not running that show. You're not the mm -hmm. one standing at the podium and taking questions. That's not the way I've ever seen either of you lead before, but you're more like, let's get people together. 
Because if we put all our heads together, we'll probably come up with something really good. And I love right off the bat. I just love the model that you both have had um, in the state of Washington. Well put. Thank you. Yeah, I'd say that that came from necessity because both Kathy and I were one of the first AT facilitators for a school district in the state as far as like we were, we were among a small group. We weren't the first, but we were among a small group. And, um, and the, at, at that point, when we started the AT, AT teams, regional teams group was a necessity for all of us to, to make our way through um, what was, what was a quite a new field. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And you're all kind of on your own island in your own district because you're the only one. And they only had one at the time. If you were an AT person, you were the AT person in your district, you know, and then you built those programs and you built other people around you. But, you know, you didn't have other people in the district that were doing your job. You the district had one of you, you know, when it first started. Right. So you had to talk to other people who were navigating this and there was no handbook. There was no. I mean, job description, even honestly, <laughs> even by the time I That's did true. it, I remember yeah. refining a job description because they didn't know what to say. So, I mean, this is really kind of, this was cutting edge stuff and you're just, you're kind of, I think one of the themes we're seeing along this whole series is people that are going, yeah, I don't know how to do it, but I'll give it a shot. I mean, that's kind of the, um, the, there's some guiding principles among all of you who we admire. And it's like, they didn't have the answers and they tried it anyways. And so not being a perfectionist, not needing to have all the answers, being willing to collaborate and learn as you go, which is, um, which is hard to do. You know, it's hard to take those risks. Well, and, you know, you develop those teams when you did, um, what what year do you think you guys first started, each of you, about, when was that? Close to 2000, when you say Anne Black was still at Setsi, yeah. um, and she helped. I yeah. think 1999. 99, okay. 2000. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. developing those AT teams. And we still have, um, you know, districts and teams within the state that are in the position of building a team, right? Or maybe we've had, they've had a team and they're, they're working on refining it or, or changing the model of what that looks like, maybe. Um, And so what, what kind of guiding principles have stayed from that experience that you had building those teams, but also throughout your career, regardless of advancements in technology? Um, cause we know technology changes and, um, but there are things that just, that don't change and that, and that are always true for assistive technology and for our students. Um, Barb, I'll start with you. I was hoping you'd start with Kathy. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, no, that um, I'd say some of the guiding principles for starting an assistive tech or for working in the field of, of assistive technology within a dis- within a school district is that you can't work in a silo. You have to work with, um, you, you have to have administrative support. So, and that really takes quite a bit of, of um, legwork and education to, to, to get that. And, um, and you have to communicate your goals across your district. And that means to um, people that you work with directly in special education, but also people that you work with indirectly in, in 
um, technology and in, and in general education. I know Kathy has um, done quite a bit of work with her technology IT department. Yes, yes. Kathy, tell us about that because we I hear, I've heard a lot about that too. And what does that look like when you're working with IT department? So I just think that was a super important thing that we, fortunately, we worked on the same campus. My office was on the same campus with them. Mm -hmm. And I tried to insert myself as much as possible in their leadership meetings, their finance meetings, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I know it takes extra time, but it's super important. And we were able to get a lot of our funding through um, tech levy type funding or more district funds than just special education. So right. that really enabled us to buy more iPads, even, you know, lots of different devices even came out of um, funds, not exclusively special education. So that was one piece of it. Another was um, kind of getting them on board and really educating not only the leaders in information technology, but also like the area techs or the people out in the schools. But one thing we would do with the administrators is, you know, they were funding a lot of these devices and stuff. And so we wanted them to see them in action. So we would hold some of our meetings. Um, we had monthly meetings with them. And um, we held a meeting out at a school, an elementary school at one point, mm -hmm. and we did it at a secondary school another time. But we had AAC uh, users come into the room and show how they were using the technology. Uh -huh. And I mean, that was what really life changing for the administrators idea. to see it in action. Mm -hmm. And then they got even more supportive, you know, when we asked for um, tools and that type of thing. So kind of really getting them to understand what AT is all about and seeing it in action, I think was really key. And again, like I said, just um, be visible to be willing to kind of stick your neck out and, and say, Hey, I want to, I want to have a voice in this. And even mm -hmm. if, like I said, it means more meetings or that type of thing, it, it's really worth it. Right, right. I love that. You know, I used to describe this as the Bermuda Triangle, sitting be sitting in the middle of curriculum, special ed, and tech department. That those were my three corners. <laughs> mm -hmm. And everybody's like, "Who's paying for that? Who's who's doing that? What is right. that? Who, where, who does that fall under?" And I mean, you're just spinning in that old triangle. Right. And if you're by yourself, Barb, you're not gonna make it, right? And the other thing is, is I ended up doing what you're saying too, Kathy. And I'd be like, "Hey, I need you to, you know." fix something on this computer. And I'd say, can you, you know, come at noon? And the the tech guy would say, aren't the kids there? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> they are there. And then he'd come and he'd see them all. And then, then I got him Right. So we can be in these meetings and we think we're in curriculum or we think we're in tech, or we think we're in a special ed director and managing the adults. But when we bring it back to the kids and actually make it less about the technology and more about the kids, we make farther gains in implementing technology because we don't make the technology the goal. We make the kids the goal, you know? Yeah. I'd like to share one of the things we did early on and we did it for several years. We'd have an annual open house and this was before the district tech fairs started. Mm -hmm. um, we had an annual assistive technology open house and we had it in our lending lab. So we didn't go around to other schools. We made, we, we, we um, made, everybody come to us um, and we had our students demonstrating 
the um, the technology and, and we had, you know, passports. So people made sure that they went around to all the different areas. And um, mm. I think mm. because of that, we, um, we, we were included right away in, in a predominant location, prominent location when we did have our district technology fairs. Mm. Yeah. And how did the students, what, what kind of, um, what did the students think about that, the open houses? Oh my gosh, they loved it. And we had it after school. And so their parents came as well. And we kind of made it an extra special celebration because we kind of like to throw parties. Mm -hmm. And and we had a a local tax company um, donate bow ties and cummerbunds. And so everybody wore their white shirts, (laughs) bow ties and cummerbunds. and they had specific jobs to do, whether it be to show people how to use um, um, something like co-writer or to demonstrate, to have conversations with people using their communication devices um, and switch use. And they, they had um, specific jobs to do as well. And we yeah. ended up doing that when we had, when we, when we were involved in the tech fairs too, we ended up having students have specific roles to, to, um, to, to share what assistive technology was all about. Right. And I'll, I'll never forget those tech fairs because so it's for the whole district and different schools can showcase what they're working on, whether they have like a robotics club or um, some sort of technology that they want to highlight. And then, Barb and her colleagues would have the most exciting uh, part of the fair, the most interesting, in my opinion, of course, I was a little biased, but you had a lot of people coming to your table to see what was going on. And one year it was Starbucks and they all had uh, aprons and you go around doing things. And it wasn't just, it, it was so meaningful and the kids looked like it was so exciting and, and they, everybody just loved it and I just think you know talk about getting out of your silo that you were there you were prominent at the fair I I just love that Kathy what what other guiding principles would you say have stayed regardless of you know how technology has advanced or Um, well I would also say that you know, Joy Zabala was kind of a pioneer in the field and she came up with the set framework Um, And I think it's really stood the test of time. So for those of you who might not be familiar with it, SET stands for Student Environment Task and Tools. And just the whole concept, it's really critical to match the needs of the student with the the right tools. Um, And so that's always kind of been in the forefront for me as I'm looking at students and trying to match students with the right tools. And also, I think, um, you know, providing support for not only the student, but the staff who's going to be supporting them um, and the families. So that in order to ensure ensure success, you really want it to be a team effort. And Mm -hmm. it can't be just focused on the student. You have to look at the bigger picture. Right. Um, Well, we still use the set form now and you Mm kind of think, is there anything, um, do we need to make it more complicated? No, we don't. Do we need a new form? No, 
And actually nobody's putting together anything. It's working. It's still working. And we're not making it harder than it has to be using that form. I love that. And it helps with the mindset shift when um, you look at student environment tasks. And then tools is that last thing. Mm -hmm. It's not saying tools, student. And I think that's really it's it's subtle in the way it's presented, but it's it's meaningful when you're like working with teams um, mm-hmm. to, to start thinking of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Kathy. It looks like you had something and else. To say. I was also going to say, you know, your, our students needs change over time. And I think the mindset for a lot of families was, oh, they're only going to get this consult once, you know, mm. it's a one and done type thing. Mm. And just really reassuring the team and the family and even the student, Hey, technology changes, your needs change. This is not a static process. This mm. can be an ongoing type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as we find out about new things that might be a good fit for you, or even, you know, sometimes the families would come to us and say, what do you think about? Um, and, you know, just exploring those options and being open to that, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Kathy, tell us a little bit about how you had, how you developed that idea that you can be available. Um, you know, you, you're busy, you're serving the district, right? Uh-huh. And um, you have essentially any student could be on your caseload in a way at any time. And you have training of teachers and staff, like you said, it's not just about uh-huh. this one person. So how did you maintain that? And um, we ended up having, it was just too big a job for one person. And especially as we, the iPads were huge because we had so many, we were trying to manage and, you know, it's really expanding sort of our reach throughout the district and that type of thing. So, you know, we did get some additional staffing and, and what we ended up doing was I had been seeing kids all the way from the inclusive preschool program starting age three to transition at 21. and you know, all the, essentially all the schools in the district. So once we got some increased staffing, we tried to look at what's a more effective way of doing this. And so maybe one person would be sort of the preschool elementary AT go-to person that wouldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, we would share our expertise or consult with each other, but then the staff kind of knew who their go-to person was. And that allowed us to focus a little bit more too, and kind of get to know um, the staff and then professional development opportunities at that level and that Mm -hmm. type of thing. And then somebody else would um, take secondary. And so we, towards the end of my time there, we were really focusing more on that. Um, and that seemed to be a little more effective than being spread quite so thin, mm-hmm. you know. Right. right. Barb, do you have anything to add and um, um, on that idea? Yeah, and I yeah, I I wanted to clarify that I was actually never in it alone. Uh, there was always a team that mm-hmm. I worked with, and our team included an, an occupational therapist and an SLP assistant. And um, and then we and then we would connect with with students, we'd connect with that team. And, and so it was a team to team effort. Um, and, and so uh, as, as things grew, our time in, increased a bit. And, and then as budgets changed, our times might've decreased a bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but the focus of always having it, uh, a, a multidisciplinary team or a transdisciplinary mm-hmm. team um, mm-hmm. working with a transdisciplinary team is really the only way to meet students needs. Right. Best. Yeah. Right. Well and over, over my, 
my career, I worked with a site counselor who um, worked with as an AT specialist. He'd also had a background as a special education teacher, um, SLPs, OTs. So, you know, a wide range of, you know, disciplines too. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And, and again, I never worked in total isolation, but typically I, I would have more um, FTE than some of the other supporting people right. and that gradually changed. But I think right. we should note the size of the districts you guys were in, because part of the reason, like when I did, when I was an AT person, I got two days a week. I was the only person because my district was so small. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the reasons why you guys were able to enter with a team is mm-hmm. because you had, a, I mean, I don't know how, how is Bellevue and probably is Bellevue the biggest district in Washington? Serving? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I think Seattle is, is Seattle much larger. Okay, but yeah. it's large, and so is Everett. Right. And Everett is large. It's just so you guys know, like these are huge districts. So the fact that they weren't alone and they had two other people, I mean, still the volume of the number of kids mm-hmm. that potentially mm-hmm. needed assistive technology. Right? We're not talking just AAC here. We're talking assistive technology, which is a huge net. I mean, is still a daunting task, you know, and when you start to think about, I I remember um, talking to Barb at the time going, okay, you know, my budget's like five bucks. So what am I saying is my, what am I saying as my priority? And I guess I, I wonder that too, like, you know, as you're beginning to advise districts on what they need to purchase, I don't know if you both played that, that role as well, but it's like, there's, there's, um, there's um serving the high incidents through assistive technology and then what where does the low incidents get the funding and all that kind of thing was was um advising on what the district needed to invest in financially was that challenging for you i i think um, a lot of it depended on our administrative support at the time and um at when we we started out really looking at high incidence kiddos at the very beginning, but um, but the burgeoning area of assistive technology was providing supports that were universal that everybody could mm-hmm. use, and um, and so quickly 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 went to that, and um, I appreciated the administration that I worked with in that we we were able to look per building within all of our grade levels at in our district and set up a standard support for classrooms right and um, what what's kind of the basis basics that you need and there was the financial support to do that and that um, that varied over time but having that kind of a framework for looking at what what's um, it was similar to the the tiered looking tiered mm-hmm. levels mm-hmm. now. Um, that that really helped to kind of operationalize how mm. we looked at at spreading around the technology. Mm-hmm. Right. And and part of that was so certain classrooms would have a certain software, right? Uh, or um, that they would have access to, or did they have kits too? Um, like was there early learning kits or we d- yeah, we developed some kits, but primarily we used our lending library and, and a lot of training to let people know what was in the lending library and how to use it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so um, 
we did have we did have some kits in terms of some classrooms depending on their need got more um, more computer interfaces and mm-hmm. um, more switches and right. and and more specialized switches were in our were in our lending library right right um, but everybody had voice output switches and um, to 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 use in their classroom. So in that way, it was kind of it that you could call it a kit. That was kind of one of the one of the basic mm-hmm. for, each, for each classroom. Right, right. Kathy, I'd love to hear um, your perspective on this question. And then I'm just dying after this to ask you guys about a student, some right. a student that's inspired you. We so jumped out of order, but that's okay. But I know you have some really good insight into this financial piece too. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think when we started, like Barb was saying around 1999 for me, it was about 2000 where um, the district said, yes, we, we need this position with AT specialists. I think back on the devices we're using, like the Dynavox, the Dynamite, I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and yeah, there was a limit to how many students we could serve. Right. And right. So, like, I just think things like um, the iPod touch came, you know, as a precursor to the iPad, but mm-hmm. just like getting things that were the families were all on board so much quicker with things like an iPod touch or an iPad because their child didn't look different and right, they felt right. comfortable programming it and that type of thing. And then the district was more accepting of it because they were starting to roll them out for other students. So that kind of started the shift towards more things that were universal design. Um, And I think that's been huge. And then our district went to the, you know, uh, laptop for every student initiative. And of course that was speeded up for a lot of districts because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, our students first, you know, early on when we started getting, we would get the leftover laptops. So the ones that like mm-hmm. were on the end of their life cycle that, they you know, maybe hold the charge. Oh, they would <laughs> yeah. not hold the charge. They you know, that. they're just awful. And mm-hmm. those were given for the special needs students and they were heavy and they wouldn't hold a charge. And, um, the kids didn't want to use them because nobody else was using a laptop. Mm-hmm. Like it was stigmatizing to use mm-hmm. that. And it already took a so, lot of time to set up things for these kids sometimes, yeah, right? We don't yeah. need to spend more time. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so the big shift when everybody had a laptop and we started loading those with universally designed tools, then it wasn't stigmatizing because their peers were using, you know, text to speech or you right. know, that a lot of the features that were built into, let's say, um, you know, Office 365 or something like that. Right. Um, so I think that's been a huge shift in the field and um, I think a really exciting shift. And then getting more support from the technology administration and department because we would say, hey, look, this is benefiting all students. It's not just our students that you're purchasing this for, you know, right. but here's what we need, you know, as far as licenses or this type of thing. Um, but you've already got the hardware. So it was a little bit easier to sell sometimes to get licenses for software or tools. Right. 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 Love that. Okay. Well, I think you're both going to want to answer this question first, because I know you're both about the students. You're very student centered. I know this about you both. 
Um, this is why we're here, right? What is there a particular student in your career who's inspired you to do more or kind of your why you're doing things or what at, at any part of your career, pre-AT role, post? Way back in your OT world or in your SLP world or, or um, and we know there's an, that you have um, so many, it's hard to pick one, <laughs> mm-hmm. but there are those ones that you still remember so that what you remember with such clarity that you know they impacted you. Yeah. I'll go ahead. Um, there, I'll give you a little background. My pediatric OT field work was at Maplewood School in Edmonds. And at the time, Paul Schwede and Judy McDonald were there and they were really pioneers. They're the ones that went on to create co-writer and that type of thing. But Paul Schwede actually took Apple to eat computers adapted it was called an adaptive firmware card so that you could hook up switches in the apple game port and so that was some of the really early on computer access Mm -hmm. technology and um so i started working for bellevue schools shortly after that and i had a non-speaking high school student with um cerebral palsy and he was obviously very bright but nobody had been able to kind of tap into that to really know. So um, he had a really complex body. So regular, like even hand switches were not going to be an option for him. So we rigged up on his wheelchair, um, two head switches, and then we programmed it with Morse code. So he learned Morse code and he would Mm. type out his communication in Morse code. Wow. And one day, I remember I was just fussing around with the setup and I was like really frustrated. Like, why isn't this thing working? And then I realized I had reversed his head switches. And as oh. soon as I discovered it, he laughed so hard. And I know he knew way before I did, oh, yeah. you know, what the problem was. Yeah, and he was waiting you know, for you to so, figure it out. Yeah, he was just waiting for me to figure yeah. it out. So, um, yeah, so he really does. Stand. We even did... Like, um, this is like a really primitive Pong type game that he could do. But again, one of the first times he could play a game with a peer. Um, mm, and that social mm. connection was just so important. So yeah, he's, he's one that really has always stuck with me. So I mean, I Kathy, love that, but I have to give you credit. Then if he had to learn Morse code, then mm-hmm. so did you. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Not that I can remember it that well, but yeah. But I I mean, he was so motivating for you, right? Right. Like, I don't know this. I don't know how to do this. And that means I'm going to have to learn how to do a hard thing and you're worth it. And it it pans out to put, go all in on somebody, even if you don't know what you're doing. And they are the ones you remember, you know? And I, we were just talking about this earlier about not bailing out every new person in the field with a solution and letting them come up with some of their own solutions because they'll be more invested in it. And if they have to learn a new thing, they will reap the rewards of all the work of that. So as we mentor people through it, it's like, I'm not going to give you the answer. I mean, if you want to try Morse code, go for it. Like, you know, that's probably not not something that's going to happen. Um, now probably, but I, I love everything about that story because it shows so much about your willingness to do a hard thing or to put yourself out there and be like, I don't know. I mean, 
right? Yeah, apparently right. this apparently we can do switches and even head switches, which were not that common. And still we run into people that are so invested in hand switches that we're going to do hand over hand with a switch instead of independent access with the head, right? So even all of the those pieces were actually pretty not status quo. You did not read that in a textbook. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Kathy, I, I was thinking along the same things as Brenda said, I think also that, you know, you let you you gave the flexibility. You you came in mm-hmm. with flexibility, thinking I don't have an answer right off the bat, probably right. Mm-hmm. You didn't meet mm-hmm. the student and then say we're doing X Y Z, um, and you had flexibility for that student to develop something. But talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, your relationship with that student because you also need to have some connection before mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do things like this and to take these chances, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's sort of interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that, but one thing that does come to mind is I had a, an uncle, my dad's only brother was born in the late twenties in St. Louis, Missouri with cerebral palsy. Okay. And wow. from a really young age, I, I found out that his education ended in St. Louis when he was too heavy to be lifted on to the school bus, the bus driver was the one that made the decision that ended his oh, education. Wow. And so for me, like from a pretty young age, yeah. I knew I wanted to be an occupational therapist um, mm-hmm. because I wanted people to be able to have that access and independence. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. maybe there was some kind of, my uncle um, cognitively was intact and he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was verbal and very capable, but he missed so much of education and you know, life experiences because of access issues. But there was something about my, you know, Michael that I knew that there was a lot there that Mm -hmm. just had a, he had an opportunity to express himself. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think sort of those, that ties together Mm -hmm. that I was motivated because Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. I love that. Barb, let's hear from you. Well, you're right. There are so many. And, mm-hmm. and everybody taught me a little something different, sure. but um, one, one that feels just particularly close to my heart is actually someone that, that Sari knows and worked with a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a student with cerebral palsy who is, um, is non-speaking and um, I worked so hard to try to get him a system that would work for his, his, um, that that he'd be motivated to use. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd figured out that um, his, we'd figured out his switch access pretty early. um, And we'd gotten him a a system that, that he could generate spontaneous novel communication utterances with quite a bit of effort. Mm -hmm. He had, um, he had visual cortical visual impairment. And so we, over time that became apparent. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, having, having an auditory overlay um, was with, with the scanning I, I learned from him. Yeah. And the other thing that I learned from him is even though he didn't have very functional hand use, he really had a sensory drive to use his hands. Hmm. And it didn't really work for the communication system. Mm-hmm. So, so this is an embarrassing story to tell. But so his communication system, he was always trying to, to operate it by touch. And um, 
and and even though and I didn't know at the time that his his vision was not was not useful for symbols mm-hmm. um and so I kept moving so that he wouldn't do that I kept moving his device on a longer and longer and longer right. arm so it was practically impossible at the end to get through a doorway and um and that didn't deter him because he's he's a a a, ver- a perseverer in life and so one two of the things that he taught me was you need to be able to do what you need to be able to do and and so he ended up we ended up and i don't you know it's one of those oh i'm embarrassed now to think about it but we ended up using the screen as one of his one of his switches mm-hmm. for, for step scanning and um and the other thing was he really, really told me over the years, and we're talking years, over the years that he wasn't interested in generating novel communication utterances. He was interested in connecting with you as a person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. telling you things that were happening in his fairly predictable life. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when we switched our our goal from, you know, being totally, totally novel and accurate and precise in his communication and, and moved more toward a, um, a connection kind of a system, Mm -hmm. he he took off Mm. and, um, and really, really showed tremendous growth. So he taught me so much about Mm. um, getting to know the person Mm -hmm. and getting to know what they needed to do and what they wanted to do and to value that over any concocted idea that I had of the way it should be done. Yeah, I love, I love that it. because you are coming in with a lot of knowledge and and a lot of, and you have experiences and you've read what's new and how to do this and you've talked to your OT or whatever. But at the end of the day, it was it's about being comfortable enough to sit and listen be uncomfortable be uncomfortable with your plan enough to change it and hear what that student is is telling you and and, and truly valuing his plan right right, right. yeah yeah I, I mean that. I think about that too especially with those I, I when I work with people with cerebral palsy who whose intelligibility is low their first instinct may be to try to tell you verbally, even if the intelligibility is 5%. Mm-hmm. And they get to. Mm-hmm. And I never want to take that away. And I think about people with other diagnoses who don't have that necessarily apparent or um, obvious internal drive to communicate with you. You can't even teach that. You know, and it's like, I do not want to change that. You get to say the every single thing you want to say. And and then we will repair the breakdown where we hear the breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I'm not here to make sure that you say all the right things in the right way, the right order, the MLU, the whatever. Um, you get to say it, even if I don't understand it, because that is your mm-hmm. that is, is keeping you engaged. That's keeping you true to yourself. And um it, it's not, we're not replacing your voice with this technology. We are augmenting it. And so you get to say it, even if nobody understands it. And guess what? Eventually we all end up speaking junior, right? I mean, we all end up half a, halfway understanding that kid. And th- we would only do that, you know, if we let them continue to do it. Both of your situations though, what I'm hearing and I, and I, and I love it is like, 
Um, I learned more from them maybe than they, you, they learned from you. Mm-hmm. And that's a humbling um, mm-hmm. reality, yeah. right? Is that we actually yeah. learn more from them than they mm-hmm. do from us. And they are so patient and generous with us. I mean, I think about the kid Kathy was talking about with the switches are on the wrong side. I mean, how patient was he to wait? Like, mm, I, I don't know. Hopefully oh yeah. It was it a while. Session, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Like, let's just see. And they're so patient with us and we, they mm-hmm. deserve at least that in return, you know? Well, and us. there's, there's not one of us who can't say I did everything perfectly in my career with all these students, right? Mm-hmm. We all have these stories of saying, oh my goodness. And, or, oh, I would have learned now if I could go back and do X, Y, Z. And I know both of you, I think we'll hear more at the end or, um, you're still active in this world. So I'm excited to hear a bit bit about what you're doing now, but, um, but it requires some problem solving, right? It Mm -hmm. requires some listening and some reflection. And then a lot of problem solving along the way Mm -hmm. for us to move forward in in the field and move forward with our students. What, um, what mindsets do we need to avoid? Or are there systematic hangups to keep that momentum and creative creativity. Barb, I'll start with you. Um, well, I, I, I was often painted green with envy when talking with Kathy about her financial resources. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of the things that I learned was to look everywhere for financial resources. And so we ended up um, writing a lot of grants and mm. receiving a lot of grants. And they were for a variety of things um, that, that ended up growing, growing our, our kids in our department a lot. Mm. One of them was, was um, with the Toyota Tapestry Grant for um, science in education. And we, we paired students with um, students in our, with our, our most complicated bodies um, with students in um, who had complex thinking, mm-hmm. and and we we put them together and and we, we got at that time it was called a Cooper car. Um, it was a, a little battery operated switch up oper- battery run switch operated car, and mm-hmm. we put together teams be, with with um, several classes. We put together teams that were pit crews and drivers, and and we connected with. Uh, with retired Boeing engineers, and they provided classes to to everybody about about the um, air, about movement, and then and so we did a variety of of um, studies on the effects of friction and incline and whatnot on our Cooper car, and our pit crews took data and and um, and our drivers went through the paces and then at the end we had a grand prix where um where we all shared what we learned um and just the just the community involvement Mm -hmm. in that and um it was was just a a really wonderful thing and another thing we did was we looked at a a, um, for training for our, our staff we looked at a local library guild who was off who was offering some 
money for training adults, training teachers. And so um, they provided us with a, a weekend at a hotel right off the freeway in our, in our town. And we had the most wonderful time um, learning together, teachers and SLPs and OTs, um, learning together about the technology and developing things for our classrooms as a group. So um, I, I'd say that just exercise creativity in, in every way you can think of. And often that can be financially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a lot of creativity in those goals you had when, when they came and you had the Derby, you weren't just doing, let's do a race, right? There was so much more in that. Um, that's so fascinating. And I think too, so, I mean, you know, time and money, right? That's what everybody says we don't have enough of. And so advocating for that and getting creative around that is, is kind of one, one thing. But the other thing is that um, making sure that it's inclusive and it's, it creates a sense of belonging and it's bigger than the community that you're, that, 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 that has the need um, creates an investment, not, no, not just in time and money, but in interest, right? I'm in, now I'm invested in these people and these kids in this event. And so you get different kinds of investment. Um, if you create opportunities where the connection and belonging are high on that list too. I love that example. Mm-hmm. Kathy, what would you say? Um, how are you how how to stay creative? What advice do you give us in problem solving? Um, well, I would say one thing that's always been important to me is with your students, really assume competence, um, especially when the students are new to us. Maybe they're English language learners. Maybe they have very complex bodies. Um, you know, it makes technology use more of a challenge a lot of times, but Mm -hmm. just like starting from that place where we just assume they're going to be able to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And don't be so certain also that a particular technology is a magic bullet. Like that's going to solve all the problems Mm -hmm. Um, in doing so. Sometimes we focus more on the, the tool Mm -hmm. than, you know, what the student's actual need is. Mm, and, um, you know, also assuming one technology doesn't fit everybody. I know universal design is important, but sometimes you might need to go that next step and find Definitely. some really special specialized technology mm-hmm. that fits particular students' need. Mm-hmm. And we had a vision specialist. We were fortunate in our district, we had a vision specialist too. And so Sometimes they weren't familiar with some assistive technology pieces. So kind of brainstorming together. And, um, you know, I was learning a lot from them, but then I'd also make some suggestions or if I was going to a trade show or something, I would sort of be on the lookout too. Um, And then just keeping any solution totally student-centered. You know, it's really important that they're in the center of your Mm -hmm. decision-making. So those are just, some concepts like yeah Yeah. those are solid that that just flows with everything you guys have said so far today keeping it about the students that you're not working in a silo and that um it's meaningful it's about it's about the students it's about authentic communication and involving others and um and then we never know the impact that that makes on other people right like those engineers that came in or um yeah, 
that's wonderful. Um, so you, you both are retired and, um, I know personally that you're living your lives and so fun to hear about what you're doing personally, but, um, what thinking about your impact, and I know this is, this is kind of a tough question, Brendan, I can think a lot about your impact, but, um, what, what do you hope, where do you hope you've made an impact and, or um, what advice do you have for people wanting to grow, help grow the field? Either of those two things. Or, or both. About. Mm -hmm. Kathy, we, we could start with you if you're. Um, yeah, I think hopefully that providing a means to make our students sort of as independent and confident as possible um, and to help them be part of an inclusive school environment and their larger community. Mm -hmm. um, so working with the, again, working with the student, the staff and the family, mm -hmm. um, that was really important to me to kind of look holistically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then sort of circling back to, you know, Barb mentioned uh, not working in a silo and we've touched on this some already, but just not just forming those connections with information services, but like the curriculum department, teaching mm -hmm. and learning, the mm -hmm. early learning department, instructional technology um, for professional development, uh, the gen ed teachers, uh, you know, uh, parent groups, or even the foundations mm -hmm. uh, that kind mm -hmm. of help fund things in your schools. So just finding time to connect with us. And it's hard, you know, our time is limited, but mm -hmm. um, those making those connections and not working in a silo and also um, try to be involved in some of the leadership decisions. If you possibly can get on some of those teams, I was surprised I was on like a special ed leadership team and I was surprised even within special education, a lot of times I'd have to raise my hand and like, have you thought about this aspect of it for right. our students that have right. these needs. So, you know, even within that department, there's mm -hmm. still, we still need a voice um, yeah. at the table. Yes. So mm -hmm. those are Make things just, I think hopefully that made an impact. Um, and it, it looks like we've got a great team that has continued on uh, since mm -hmm. I left about a year mm -hmm. ago. And um, they're really thriving and doing well, but hopefully some of the groundwork was laid for that. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll just kind of continue. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Barb, how about you? Well, well, I think about personal impact and that, and I think about um, career impact mm -hmm. and uh, personal impact. I think, and Kathy had, had said this before um, the idea, of presuming competence and the idea that um, uh, that I always believed in my kids and their parents knew that I always believed in their kids mm. and um, that is if, at, at my retirement party <laughs> um, those were those were examples and stories that I heard about mm. um, Mm -hmm. that that were that were were long lasting long lasting mm -hmm. impacts on people and and that's you know that's that's what we all do mm -hmm. so that's nothing nothing about me you know me and my personal impact but I think it's such an important impact 
that we all make is is that we we believe in those around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of of my AT career, um, I did a lot of a lot of training within our district, and I felt like I um, really worked to build capacity mm-hmm. with staff and um, and a- applying the same idea um, when working with staff presuming competence, but not necessarily presuming knowledge. Mm. And um, mm. that what some of the feedback that I that I heard from staff that I worked with was a lot of, and this was, you know, this was early on in the field, a lot of technology classes were really scary for people, mm. because they felt like they were left in the dust. Mm. And, um, and the feedback that I got from people was that, um, that they didn't, they didn't, that they were comfortable in their learning. And so I just um, Mm. think about how important it is that we meet people, kids and staff where they're at, right, and and challenge them with high levels of learning, but provide the support that they need to get there. Right? Yeah, well put. Well put. Well, and you we didn't get a lot of time to talk about this, but you, you two are both wonderful mentors. And have been for many different people that you may not even realize you've done that for um, within our field and probably your personal lives too. But in the sense that, like Brenda said, when you came on, um, you make people feel comfortable and you help ask questions that that turn people into leaders and um, and change makers themselves and and careers. And so we just revalue that. We recognize that. what what's something you don't you think maybe people don't know about you that you want to share or perhaps you have a new project or an interest area or anything tell us what retirement's like <laughs> <laughs> you get to do all the fun stuff all the time <laughs> yeah well barb i know that you're you haven't stopped you're volunteering i am yeah. yeah, I'm volunteering in, a, in our local school district up here, and I'm still connected with with um, friends in Everett and, and still still providing um, some. We're still having carrying on conversations with my old friends in Everett and up here. Um, so right at right when I retired, um, the the book Comprehensive Literacy for All came out and um, and actually my friends here. Sari and Brenda both recommended that I read that as well as the person that I was volunteering with here in Bellingham. And so I did. And, and boy, it lit a fire. Mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted to do um, in my, in my, re- now that I could choose anything that I wanted to do, I knew what I wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. um, it, and it, it meshed really well with my need to declutter and downsize. I went through <laughs> all my old, um, all my old children's books and looked at them through the lens of how could these books be used to support comprehensive literacy for all strategies and put put them into a book collection and created um, activity plans for each of the books along with with picture supports for those. And and it's now housed on the SETC website and and, um, we'll just hopefully continue to grow and hopefully meet people's needs. Yeah, that's such a great resource. And we really hope you'll check it out. We'll we'll put the link to it when we post this podcast because there's so much there and you've spent so much time. And um, we really love it because it's a way for people to 
to say, oh, okay, I can see how I might do this and then take it and make it their own and be creative um, in their own work. So thank you, Barb, for, yes, for that. Thank you. Yeah. It's an amazing Kathy, resource. Yeah. Um, what have you been up to or so what? um yeah, retirement's been great. It's given me a chance to travel. Mm -hmm. Um I just got back from Morocco and I did like a craft and um textile tour of Morocco that was fabulous, yeah. which is 12 women. Most of them were Australian, some people from Great Britain and a couple of us Americans. And um you know, just spending more time with my family has been wonderful and pursue some creative projects that I kind of put on hold over the years. I love to sew and do photography and things like that. So I'm really enjoying that. I said I would give myself kind of a one-year sabbatical after I retired mm -hmm. and it sort of coincided and this is sort of on a personal note. Um, I've had two pretty major retina surgeries oh. and so last a lot of last year was kind of finding out I had it a second time and having another surgery and adapting to that. But what was so fascinating to me about it was kind of being on the other side of assistive mm -hmm. technology mm -hmm. and, and some of the anxiety I felt around, like, mm. like what is going to be the outcome with my vision? You know, that type of thing. I'm doing great now. Um, things, both the surgeries were successful and that type of thing. But, um, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe I could use a different font or maybe I'll blow you know do mm -hmm. this or maybe i'll listen to more audio books and you know things i have been recommending for people to do you know right. i find myself doing um right. so that that was kind of interesting but i i do sort of feel like i wanted a little time to explore options or decide what i want to do and one thing i'm sort of interested in pursuing is um setting up some kind of consulting practice i'm especially interested in working with at specialists or coordinators um, especially ones with like newer departments or maybe yeah. they're newer to the field and what are some processes and systems that can help them run their department more yeah. efficiently so that's something you know I've been considering um, and I learned a lot about that by tapping into the larger resources in our district like we shared the same help desk ticketing system that information services did mm -hmm. rather than do our own thing on the side we tapped into larger thing and that also made That's the district nice. more aware of how we were supporting people mm -hmm. um, you know, even the inventory system for our library got so big we tapped into the district um library type inventory right. system oh. and integrated with that so some of those things were really helpful in helping our department run more efficiently um so those are some things I'm interested in. Yeah, I know you'll have a lot to share with people around that. And yeah, oh, there's going to be some really lucky AT people who get to work with you <laughs> on that. So yeah, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, you know, it, seems, it sounds like it, you step away and you get a minute and you go, you know what I really love doing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's when you, I exactly. really love literacy or I really love the problem solving with those, with those in those beginning stages. And then you get to do that. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's it's exciting. It's we pretty wonderful. That is grand grandchildren too? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. They yeah. keep they keep you focused. For yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. Keep you balanced. Test out those books you're working on, and <laughs> they, they're my readers. Yes. 
<laughs> they, they, I, they, that way I know which ones to focus, which ones to prioritize. Which yeah. Yeah. Well, we just love hearing from you too. I think we could go on and on and yeah. um, you've given so much to the field and to us personally, I know we've both been touched by you and um, have learned a lot from you both. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll be sure to put your contact information because um, we know others are going to want to hear from you as well. Yes. Thank you both. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it was great. So much fun. 